0: Aloha friends, I'm Dorina,
1: And I'm Sean. Welcome to Eat, Pray, Run.
0: If you've listened to our Walk, Run, Soar podcast in the past, we are so thrilled to have you back. And if you're new around here, welcome. Our podcast got a little makeover this summer and you can count on the same refreshing interviews and encouraging reflections, but with a little bit of a twist.
1: As we launch into season three, join us for an adventure chasing God's glory as we eat, pray, and run. Darina and I are hosting conversations with athletes, artists, chefs, and authors about food, culture, books, and faith. This is a podcast about learning to chase God's glory in our everyday lives. You can expect a thoughtful quote, an engaging interview, and a little prayer.
0: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 8. We are here for it, and we hope you are too. Each week, I like to share a little story or inspiration with you about chasing after God's glory. The other morning, I went glory chasing with my friend Stephanie. We went for a run and hunt for pictures of God's glory in creation whenever we run together. We talk about the evidence of God working in our lives, and we encourage each other to chase God's glory in both the mundane and life's challenges. On this particular day, we ran on the Cowloop Trail at the base of Woodward Park, which is near where we live. We paused several times to marvel at God's creation. Little frogs jumped on spindly legs through the grasses. Bunnies bobbed across the trail. Birds danced on the wire fences. The sun promenaded in brilliant colors over the hills. All these a singing of God's glory. Stephanie and I tried to take pictures, but none of them quite captured the true beauty of what we saw. Taking time to behold these precious glimpses of God's glory lifted my spirits from my own challenges. God's creation reminded me that he is God. He is creative, sovereign, and full of glory, and he invites each of us to experience his glory and peace through the intricacies of nature but it was the crepe myrtle near the end of our run that made me stop in her tracks. If you don't know, a crepe myrtle is actually a tree, and her branches were dressed in white flowers like a vintage lace wedding gown. She stood so regal at the end of the path and yet somehow whispered kindness and grace over me as I ran on tired, sore legs. You know, sometimes nature teaches us the most profound lessons. Stephanie told me about the beautiful pink crepe myrtles planted in her own neighborhood. And the crepe myrtle, which is a hardy plant known for her long blooming season, can also withstand heat. Even the triple digit temperatures here in Fresno in Central California where we live. Although she prefers the shade. Who doesn't? The prophet Isaiah talks about the myrtle as a symbol of life and abundance. Isaiah fifty-five thirteen 13 says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The myrtle here is contrasted to the briar. She is resilient, robust, and flourishing. And she is like an arrow pointing to God's glory a sign. I found myself saying a little prayer in my head while we finished our run. Dear Lord, make me like the crepe myrtle. Help me enjoy the details of today, whether in heat or shade. Allow me to be a sweet fragrance, reflecting your glory to others. Amen. And this is what it means to be a glory chaser, my friends. It's having eyes to look up and see God's handiwork, even when the heat and the hills of life's trails tempt us to focus too much on our own burning feet. It's receiving his lavish love for each of us each day and pointing others to his glory like the crepe myrtle. I want to leave you with this quote to ponder from Barbara Brown Taylor. She writes, The effort to untangle the human words from the divine seems not only futile to me but also unnecessary since God works with what is. God uses whatever is usable in a life, both to speak and to act, and those who insist on fireworks in the sky may miss the electricity that sparks the human heart. That's in Barbara Brown Taylor's book, Leaving Church, A Memoir of Faith. This story was from my devotional, Walk, Run, Soar, published in 2020 by Bethany House Baker Books. I hope you will check it out. It's available on Amazon and all the places you can buy books. And you can read more about the book or look at a sample over on my website at darinagilmore.com. Welcome back, friends. I'm your host, Darina Gilmore-Young.
1: And I'm Sean Young. If you know us, you know we are running enthusiasts. Darina and I are both avid distance runners, and we also coach high school track and field, elementary cross country, and a local marathon team for adults.
0: And today, our special guest is Rachel Pye-Jones. She is an expat, a writer, a mother of three who lives and runs in the country of Djibouti in Africa, and she has started a running program for girls there. She's authored several books. Um, Her most recent book is Pillars, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit more on the broadcast today, and Rachel and I connected through a writing group called Redbud Writers Guild, so I'm so excited to have you here with us, Rachel, all the way from Djibouti. Tell us a little bit more about you and the season of life that you're in.
2: Well, it's great to be here with you guys. We're going to be talking about all the things that I love. So this will be fun. So yeah, I'm in Djibouti in the Horn of Africa. Most people in the United States anyway, have not heard of it before. It's a relatively small country in the shape of a Pac-Man. So I, I make a shape of a Pac-Man with my hand and then I make a seven <laughs> off of the Djibouti. And seven is the, the coast of Somalia around the Horn of Africa. So that's where I am right now. I'm in the Horn of Africa. Um, we're bordered by Ethiopia, Eritrea. The Red Sea, and then Somalia. Across the Red Sea is Yemen, so it's kind of a a hot spot in the world. But Djibouti itself is pretty peaceful. Um, It is majority Somali population. The local population is almost 100% Muslim, and so we have been here since 2004. In 2003, my family first moved to the Horn of Africa. We lived in Somalia for a year, and then we came here across the border, where my husband has worked in education. He was a professor. At the university for a long time and then now we launched our own school so yeah we have three kids two of them are actually in the united states in college now at university they're 21 year old twins and then we have a junior in high school so she's in africa with us i i manage staff that's kind of my work position with the school and with our organization and i write and i run and i'm also in seminary so i'm attending online with fuller
1: oh so
2: yeah a lot going on Wow, girl. Yeah, that's a lot. How
1: did you get started running?
2: I used to hate running, actually, before I started, (laughs) as many people say. But in 2008, we were here in Djibouti, and it's actually one of the hottest inhabited countries on the planet. And so running was not something that I thought would be interesting or, or fun at all. So we had a staff member who came to teach at the university with us. And I was responsible for her as her team leader. She had just run a marathon in the United States. And she said, is it safe for a woman to run here? And I said, gosh, I don't know. You should probably go with somebody first to take someone with you to make sure. And she said, well, I'm going and you're responsible for me. So you better come with me <laughs> to keep me safe. <laughs> and so we went for a run. I think the first one was maybe a mile and a half. And I just about died. I thought, this is insane. Who does this for fun? But I, I really loved spending time with her. She was a fabulous young woman, and so I you know to get time with her, I would just keep running. And then I found out about a race here. It's one of the only races that women and foreigners can participate in. It's a 15 kilometer race out in the desert, which is it's one of the flattest places on earth. There's no hills, no rocks, no trees, anything. just nothing. For 15 kilometers, you run straight and you hope you have a ride at the end to bring you back to your car. And the starting shot for this race is not a gunshot. It's not a go, it's three French fighter jets that come swooping down over. I heard heard about that race and I thought, that sounds amazing, I need to do that. So then I started running distances and then I actually got some, um, I got a writing gig with Running Times Magazine, which is now a defunct magazine, but I had a column every month, twice a month with them. So I had to keep running. In order to keep writing and the writing <laughs> kind of spurred on the running. So all that sort of came together in, in 2008. And then I, I was hooked. Once I started, I, I couldn't stop. I
0: love it. Well, a lot of people start their story with, I hated running. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, all
1: the time. I bet. <laughs> but there's a runner inside all of us.
2: There <laughs> is. And now I love it. It's so much a part of my routine and my, myself now. I love it. When is it cool
1: enough to run or you just run in the heat?
2: Yeah, it is not cool enough to run. I mean, it's just not. So the, the ideas of, you know, run early in the morning or run at night, It it's still very hot. So I do get up about 5.30 or earlier in the morning to run, and it's already over 100. And then you add humidity and you make the the real field temperature, it can get higher and and does often get higher than 120. And so it is hot. <laughs> um, in the winter, I can get up in the morning about five o'clock and it might be 75 up to 80 so that's the cold time for me um and so you just get a little bit used to it It's to some point you don't it's just hot and it's so sweaty that I leave actually footprints through my shoes you know wet footprints on the ground or I can hear my socks squishing in the shoes as I'm running so it's
0: quite extreme wow well we live in central California and it gets pretty hot. hot here especially in the summer up to like I don't even know 105 110 One, it'll
1: get over 110 but now I time. feel like
0: that might be cool compared to what you're
1: <laughs> <writing>.
0: <laughs> yeah you know you just you deal with it you
2: figure out how to make it work I, I run with the camelback if I'm going anything more than an hour and I freeze it overnight so I have a solid block of ice on my back and so that stays cool you know long a little until it melts so there's little tricks you pick up along the way but it's always going to be hard
1: Now, another question I have, since you said it is a predominantly Muslim country, now, what do you wear? Do you have to wear clothes that are more modest compared to what you would do in the United States?
2: So I never wear shorts, for one thing. I do wear fitted leggings, and so they're tight. But that's also partly because of the sweat. With so much sweat, I used to wear looser pants, and they would flap around and give me rashes and chafing on my legs. And so the leggings work for that. So they're long. I wear t-shirts. I have started to wear tank tops. I'm not sure if that's a good idea or not, but sleeves, usually I don't have to wear long sleeves. I don't cover my hair, but it's definitely more modest than it would be at this temperature in the U.S. In the U.S. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. I know one of the things that you have written about a lot is being a woman and, and running in this culture and running in the Horn of Africa. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about what that experience has been like for you. For myself,
2: as a foreigner, I can kind of get away with being a weirdo, to be honest. You know, People just, they know that I'm not local. And so I have a little bit more freedom in that sense to, for example, run without covering my hair. I have run in Somalia. I did a marathon there and I did cover my hair for that and also wore a skirt over my pants. And so it kind of depends where I'm at in the region. Um, but there is, I also stick out very much with blonde curly hair and as a white woman. And so... I attract attention in that way. And there aren't, there are slowly more and more runners that are women, but there's not very many. And so it's kind of bizarre anomaly when I'm out. And so I do get a lot of harassment, which is not to say that this is the country that harasses people in general. I mean, I've, I've been harassed all over the world, so I don't want to disparage Djiboutians in any specific way, but I do know that I stick out. I'm doing something a little bit culturally strange. And so Yeah, there's been, you know, there's comments, there's staring, there's, I've been chased. I've had stones thrown at me. I actually just Sunday morning this week, someone punched me in the back. They're on a motorcycle and we're coming by. So there's been quite aggressive harassment. I could even call some of it assault. And that's been something that I just have to have really been processing with Mm -hmm. myself, with my husband, with the Lord, with other women here. It's opened up a lot of conversation for me with local friends to talk with them about what they experienced and how do they respond? How does this make us strong when we experience it and respond to it? How do we not live in fear or anger? How do I protect my heart from getting bitter? You know, all those kinds of things have been deeply good, even though I wish none of it would ever happen to any woman. So that's been my experience. But for also just in general, the idea here for women is that they don't run. Or if they do run, they'll injure themselves. They'll damage their reproductive organs. We're at risk of Having our uterus fall out if we run too much, <laughs> you know these kinds of ideas that actually existed in the United States and Western places um, before the 1980s, when women were actually allowed to run the marathon for the first time. There was the same idea that a woman running further than, you know, 800 meters
1: mm-hmm.
2: would collapse. And so it's not it's not unheard of in other parts of the world either. And so because running is not so common here, they're still developing the realization that we can do this without damaging ourselves. And so, you know, I just, one of the things I feel passionate about or that I feel like is important is to model that you can be, you can have had children and still run. You can run and still be able to in the future have children. We can do this. Our bodies are made for activity to be physically active. So by continuing to run in the face of some of the specific and unique challenges, I think it's important to me to model that this is a good possible thing
1: we'd love to talk about the intersection of faith and running here on our podcast. How do you see those two things connected? Mm-hmm.
2: There's a couple of levels. The personal level for me, I feel a lot of joy in being able to use the body that God gave me to do this, even though it's hard and it's sweaty, but just to relate more physically with my body has been valuable for me. I went through cancer treatment three three years ago, and again, a couple of years ago. And that has made me much more aware of my body as well. And much more thankful for what God has given me and the ability to go through that as well and still be able to run. And so I feel like for me running and my faith are combined in helping me be thankful and also in helping me appreciate what I have both in my body and what I have around me in the world. So when I have some of these negative experiences, for example, I have a response that I do in, the, in Somali, in the local language. I, I have a response to these people who harass me. And then the people around me who see what just happened and hear my response, they step up for me mm-hmm. and they come and defend me. And so I feel like even in that way, there's a way to see that I am demonstrating and fighting for the human dignity of every person, that we are all created in the image of God. We all have the Imago Dei in us mm-hmm. and people are recognizing that and responding to that and also calling it out, the goodness of being made in God's image and the way that harassment would denigrate that. And so those experiences, I've even seen other people step up for me, help me to worship God, if that makes sense. It, it makes sense in my mind of this is who we're designed to be with, with bodies and be physical, and this is a good thing and a beautiful thing. And it's because of God making us that way. And then also just all the, the spiritual things that come up of, of growing in courage, of strength, not my own strength, but doing these things through the strength that God provides, Um, The community that can happen through running. There's a spiritual depth that can happen in conversation there and being able to experience nature on my feet. I love to run both here, but in every place that I travel, I try to run and just to experience this place on my feet and in my body to feel what God has created of the beauty of nature or a city and the people there and recognizing all that as a gift from God. I love being able to do that on the run.
0: Well, you are speaking my language today. (laughs) Our book, Walk, Run, Store is so much about that. And I feel like what you're articulating is kind of this theology of running and theology of how faith and running intersect. So thank you so much for sharing that.
1: We read about the Girls Run 2, a club you started in 2008 for local girls to experience the benefits of running. Do you still have this group, or are you involved in any other local running groups in Djibouti?
2: I don't think there are any other local running groups, (laughs) to my knowledge. There might be some for the French military or something, but not for civilians. So yeah, in 2008, I was starting to work out at the track. There was one track here at the stadium at the time, and there was girls there that would come and run, but they had nobody shepherding them, guiding them. They would stretch and just do all these weird things with their legs. They were getting injured. They were getting in trouble. They weren't getting invited to races because they didn't have a team. And to go to a race, you had to have a team. Mm -hmm. And so we asked one of the, myself and another American, we asked the officials at the stadium, why aren't these girls participating in the races? And these are on teams. And they said, no one wants to take girls because girls are trouble. (laughs) And also girls can't really run. You know, It's kind of dangerous for them. So we said, well... Someone should train them. And they said, well, why don't you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll try that. So with this other woman, also, we started this team, we called the girls run two with the the number two and the goal of the team was not only to help the girls be running well, but to stay in school. That was our reason for being here. One of our main reasons for being here is to work on education. Mm. And so we wanted these girls to be in school. So the, to, in order to train and be part of the team and go to a race, you had to be in school. And then the coaches over the years have tracked the girls, you know, in their schools with their teachers, with their parents, helping to make sure they have the supplies they need, they have the school fees they need in order to succeed. And so from 2008 until now, 2021, actually the coach right now is a young woman who was on the very first team in 2008. And she is now in her third and final year of university. And so she's one of the, you know, a great sense of accomplishment that she has done it. She stayed in school. She made it even to university and now she's reinvesting in the girls. So that's really amazing to see.
0: What a beautiful testimony. I love that. So it's like you're training up runners, but in the process, also empowering them through education. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I want to switch gears here just a little bit. Part of what we do through Global Glory Chasers is that we have a membership program, and each month we explore a different country and a different culture with our members. It's just a fun way for families and individuals to learn and kind of travel from the comfort of home, especially right now during the pandemic. I know travel is really hard for people, so they might not be able to go to someplace like Djibouti or like. Costa Rica but we get to teach them a little bit about it and learn alongside them so the country actually for October is the country of Ethiopia and I know you mentioned that Djibouti is very close to Ethiopia Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering if you could share a little bit for our listeners as we're discovering and learning about Ethiopia if you've had any experiences there or if you could tell us a little bit about food and culture in the country of Ethiopia.
2: Sure. So I have been there a few times. I'm not an expert by any means on Ethiopia. But in 2003, when my family had to flee Somaliland due to some violence there, we ended up spending some time in Ethiopia. And then again in 2006, we vacationed there. But one of my most relevant visits for this conversation is in 2008, I went with the Djiboutian National Running Team. And so Ethiopians love running. This is a cultural piece of information. They're very passionate about running. And we were in the national stadium for the 10 K and 10 K's take, you know, 25 to 30 minutes. If you're elite, if you're me, you take a lot longer. Um, (laughs) And so for the entire race, every single person was standing up, cheering, dancing, singing the whole time. We're just watching people, you know, run in a circle basically. And it was just so much fun, so much uh, vibrancy and life about that. So that was really a great experience to be part of, and uh, I even got to get a picture with Haile Gabri Selassie, who who is oh, some fun. would argue one of the best marathoners the of all time. Greatest, and so he was there, which is really fun. And I'll just recommend to anybody who's interested, I just finished a fantastic book called Out of Thin Air, which is about Ethiopian elite runners' training. So, highly recommend that
1: that one to my Christmas list. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> I've, I've heard actually, of it, but I don't have it yet.
2: <laughs> the author is an anthropologist, and he yes. went deep. It, it's my Probably one of my favorite running books, to be honest. I've read it twice already. Anyway, the so Ethiopia is much larger than Djibouti where we share a border and every Ethiopia is landlocked. So almost everything that they get in terms of food or export out comes through Djibouti, the port of Djibouti. So our economy is very much tied to Ethiopia, which is a massive country of multiple, multiple millions. We barely have a million here in Djibouti. We're connected by a train that has been built by China. So there's always transportation happening. Right now, Ethiopia is going through a pretty significant crisis. They're having a, what many are calling a civil war in the Northern region. And so that as well as other issues in the country have sent refugees kind of fleeing. And so a lot of them come through Djibouti again. So that's the connection that we have. We see a lot of Ethiopians walking through the country, trying to get to the coast, trying to get to Yemen, which is also having their own crisis right now. So there's a, there can be a sense of hopelessness for a lot of people. At the same time, there's a, a vibrant faith community there as well. There's Ethiopian Orthodox believers, there's Christian communities. And so there's a real mix of all kinds of things happening from from war to beautiful community in the city. Let's see if I can talk about a little bit of the food. One of the most famous foods that Ethiopians are known for to take a real sharp pivot from, from civil war, I guess is injera, which is a very big round piece of spongy, sour bread. People break it off into pieces and they use it to scoop up bits of meat or beans or vegetables. And that's one of my husband's favorite foods. You can get it here in Djibouti. You just pretty much walk just a block or two and you get it in a plastic bag and then you bring it home and you eat this um, injera. It's made out of teff, which a lot of Ethiopian runners say this is one of the keys to our success um, Mm. as a a grain that they really rely on. So there's a lot of overlap between in, in cultures here in Djibouti, some mix of the food and the transportation and things like that.
0: Well, thank you for just giving us a little bit of a window. I knew that there would be some connections, even though you're not directly in Ethiopia, but the overlap, like you said, of the cultures and the food and giving us even some current history of things that are going on I think that's really helpful for us as we're learning actually this morning had the opportunity um, to interview Mekdis Hadis who is also an author and she's going to be one of our other guests this month so she's from Mm -hmm. Ethiopia and she was sharing a lot about you know coming to the U.S. and then even some of the cultural values in Ethiopia so for our listeners I hope you check out that episode as well.
2: I followed her work and I think she had she's working on a book maybe so hi recommend amazing things just to what you said listeners should really listen to that episode for sure
0: yes she does have a book coming out in 2022 and it's really fascinating to just see some of the work that she's done about you know thinking about missions and how helpful and harmful it is in different contexts so I'm looking forward to that
1: we understand that you have a new book as well coming out so can you share more about the premise of your book and the journey of writing it
2: yeah so i have the cover here it actually came out in april 2021 and so the whole title is pillars how muslim friends led me closer to jesus and this book is a memoir that covers a significant portion of our time here in the horn of africa i'm a christian obviously and so we're living here as american christians surrounded by Somali Muslims for so many years. And my own faith has been deeply impacted by that experience, by my friends, by things I've learned, things I've experienced. And so the the book follows our, my trajectory along the five pillars of Islam, which Mm -hmm. are the five basic fundamentals of it means, it looks like the first one is the creed. The second one is prayer. And then there's fasting the month of fasting there's giving and there's pilgrimage so they have there's arabic words that go with all those things but the book follows those practices which are also very important to a christian
0: yes having
2: a creed fasting praying giving and pilgrimage these are things that we value but i hadn't really thought deeply about in in some ways and so the book goes through how these aspects of islam have helped me appreciate in my own christian faith some of the similar traditions and then it it highlights a lot of my experiences with community and how we how we think about and live out faith here as people who are kind of outside we're the the minority here in terms of our faith but people have been very welcoming and it's enabled us enabled me to have some really deep and challenging but also really good conversations. so that's what the book is about.
0: Well, we will definitely link the book in our show notes as well. So people can check that out. And I think this may be a question that's kind of connected to that. You know, we like to talk a lot on our podcast about chasing God's glory and this idea of experiencing God's glory in our everyday lives. And so I'm wondering even right now in your present context, how have you experienced God's glory? That is such a great question. I love it.
2: One of the things that I thought a lot about as I was writing this book, is there's an idea that I got from Barbara Brown Taylor, where she talks about hunting for the divine presence. Mm. And she would go through her day doing that, hunting for the divine presence. And what does that mean? What's a hunter? A hunter is someone who is actively mm. looking for something specific. And when they see it, they grab hold of it. They're ready to trap it or catch it or whatever. And so I took that idea of how can I do that intentionally going through my day looking for where is god at work where is the divine present right now and how can i experience it um and so when i go out with that mentality for example on a run i can run towards the desert and then i see the ocean just two miles from our house and i can see the sunrise coming up sometimes there's flamingos there there's always huge piles of garbage and sewage but what am i going to look at am i going to look at that or am I going to look for God's glory in that beauty and in that creation? Um, am I going to look for and experience God's glory in how the local people are stepping up to defend me in a, a tense interaction? And so when I make that decision to turn my eyes towards the divine presence, towards the glory, it's so much easier to see it than if you're just thinking, ah, maybe I'll see it, maybe I won't. But being intentional about it has been really valuable to me. So in writing that book, that, and, and thinking about even my daily life, how to find joy in things that are hard sometimes, how to find, how to experience God in loneliness or in being an outsider for so long, switching my mindset to look for that goodness in that experience, the humility that happens, the character growth, the, the unique joy of something small and precious like a flamingo standing next to sewage. I find so much glory and joy in that. Um, so, and then I can also ask, my friends, my, my Somali friends, my Muslim friends, my Christian friends, how have you been hunting for the divine presence? How have you been chasing God's glory? That's another phrase for me to, to take into my conversation and hear what they say, how they respond to that. And so in relationship also, I think we can be looking for that glory and experiencing the goodness of God in the people of God.
0: Well, you are definitely already a glory chaser. I love it. And I'm definitely going to take that word hunting too. And Barbara Brown Taylor's idea, mm-hmm. there's something active about hunting or chasing. Yeah. It's a pursuit. And I think that's part of the training that we're doing of ourselves here and mm-hmm. through our interviews and for our listeners that we would really chase and pursue God's glory in our daily lives because it's all around us, but it's the naming of it, you know, naming the flamingo and naming even the the contrast of the flamingo next to the sewage that allows us to really see how God is working and really lifts us when we're in those discouraging places. So I love Mm -hmm. how you illuminated that. We talked a little bit before about food, and I was asking you in the context of Ethiopia, but I'm wondering if you have a favorite way of experiencing God's glory through food. Maybe it's a dish that you eat in Djibouti or a snack that you like to have after a run. So
2: we have just recently experienced a miracle of berries in Djibouti, strawberries and blueberries. And I know that this isn't like local grown kind of things, but I have lived here for 18 years and we did not have berries all those years. And so when I see them now at an affordable price a strawberry, I just had some yesterday and I thought, this is amazing. And so (laughs) that... that appreciation of something that in Minnesota, where I'm from, you know, it's, it's not, it's good, but it's not so amazing the way that it is here. And so (laughs) berries have just really been a gift in the last year or six months or so. And we also get really fruit for me. I just, I really have a sweet tooth. So fruit's a good balance that I'm not just having sugar and candy all the time, but mangoes from Kenya. And here Other than the berries, we know where a lot of our other fruit comes from because nothing is local. So we get mangoes from Kenya and we get bananas from Mogadishu in Somalia. And these are just the best bananas that you've ever had. If you haven't had a banana from Mogadishu, you've barely had a banana. (laughs) (laughs) Those are really a soft spot for me. I I could eat fruit all the time, that and popcorn. So after a run, I really need some salt to balance off that sweet. And so popcorn and fruit, I could eat those forever. Okay.
0: I'm kind of drooling on myself here. (laughs) I hope that doesn't show on YouTube. (laughs) I am a mango lover and I'm a popcorn lover too. So I love both of those things. And, you know, it is a fun way that we get to experience God. And I love how even that you were highlighting that those fruits and things come from different places. So we get Mm -hmm. to even see and experience God's diversity through food a lot of times in, in different cultures as well.
2: Mm -hmm. it's fun to ask at the fruit vendors which are they're just little stalls everywhere kind of like a drive up you can just drive down wind down your window and get your fruit it's really fun to ask where is it from where are the watermelons from today oh they're from some island I want it if they're from you know France I maybe don't want it Uh, (laughs) and then sometimes there'll be local stuff there's one area that you can kind of grow tomatoes and some really hardy plants And so when it's local, then we get really excited about that too. So yeah, knowing where the food comes from is, it's important and it it makes a difference and you can taste the difference when there's not all the chemicals involved. You can really tell that this is fresh and good. Mm, For sure.
1: Since this is the Eat, Pray, Run podcast, let's talk a little bit about prayer. What role does prayer play in your life?
2: For me, prayer has been something that I have struggled with to be honest, over the years. And it was really fascinating to dig into it when I was writing Pillars, because prayer for Muslims is fun. It's foundational. It's so important. We have mosques all around us. And so the call to prayer comes five times a day. And it's saying God is great. God is great. In the morning, it says prayer is better than sleep. And uh, sometimes I think, really, is it? (laughs) 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 At at four o'clock in the morning. But that the way that prayer here is so much a part of daily life people stop what they're doing for those five times first they wash actually and then they physically bow and often the men you'll see them in the street as in groups doing it or if I'm in a friend's home she might take a break from our conversation and go pray and so so as I've been here as a Christian to see that physical embodiment of prayer the bowing the washing the community doing it together five times every day has really been a challenge to me and a reminder that I need to be praying all day long throughout the day, not just at a set aside time. And so in that way, the local religion and local faith community have challenged me to grow my own prayer life. And then one of the ways that I do that throughout the day, I don't stop five times a day. I don't wash, I don't bow when I pray. But one thing that a spiritual director friend helped me to learn when I was going through the cancer treatment was the idea of breath prayers, Mm. where you're just breathing in, breathing out very simple phrases like Jesus healer, be with me. Mm. Inhale, Jesus healer, exhale, be with me over and over. And I found that that really got me through and gets me through some of those challenging moments where I feel like I, I don't really want to be getting this, you know, treatment in my neck right now but I can't move what's happening and all I can do is pray. And so that's, and I can't think of anything better to say. And so just to have in my mind, those set phrases that I can return to automatically in a moment of pain or crisis or joy has been really helpful. So breath prayers are something that I have found
0: to be really valuable. Well, thanks for walking us through that experience. And it it makes me think about actually kind of similar that when I'm running, I also employ that idea. I mean, sometimes we call it a mantra, but for me, really, it is a breath prayer. It's a phrase or something from scripture that I'll, I'll say to myself as I'm running, especially as miles get long. So I love how you incorporated that. No, you know, we also love to talk about running. We've been talking about it this whole time, but I'm curious before we go, are there any things that you are training for right now or goals that you have as far as your own personal running rhythm?
2: I am not officially training for anything right now. That 15 kilometer race that I mentioned that got me started by out, running out in the desert, that's coming up again. It's every year. So I can do that. I don't I could train for it to try to get a good time, but right now I'm just trying to stay consistent. I usually get out five mornings a week. It's starting to cool down. And so I'm getting hopeful (laughs) that it won't be so torturous in the next month or two. So yeah, just staying consistent. One thing I am training, actually trying to work on as I get older, I feel like I need to work on flexibility and strength. So I am doing a lot more of strength work and muscle weightlifting and things like that. So I think that's really important to stay healthy long term.
1: Rachel, how can we support you in your work today? Where can people find you out there on the Internet and how can they support you as well?
2: You can always buy my book, yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and buy Dorena's too. It's a great book. I've read it and gifted it to a couple of runner friends. So I have a website, Rachel Pie Jones. The the Pie is with an H, P I E H. And I have a couple of Substack newsletters. One is just a a compilation of stories of news out of the Horn of Africa. So if you're interested in Ethiopia, Somali, Somalia, Djibouti, that newsletter brings together all the important news stories of the region. And then the other one um, is just about life and faith and humanitarian work and trying to do it well, trying to do it better. And so you can find those on my website or on Substack.
0: Well, I know I just signed up for your Substack newsletters. I'm very excited about both of those themes, and we'll link those in our show notes. Rachel, thanks so much for being with us today. I feel like we could talk to you for a couple more hours because there's so (laughs) many themes that we're passionate about that you share as well, but thank you just for giving our listeners a little insight into your world there in Djibouti, and we are cheering you on here from Central California.
2: Thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun.
0: Didn't you just love that conversation we had with Rachel today? I was so inspired by her perspective of living in Djibouti, of the things that she has experienced in that culture, the ways that she has made friendships and allies with people living there for more than 18 years as an expat. I also love her perspective on the difficulties and challenges that she's faced as a woman running. I want to ask you if you would join me right now. We're going to pray over Rachel and pray over this time that we have had together. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this podcast enables us to gather together at a virtual table, that we can come together and we can talk about seeing your glory through creation, through running, through food, through the cultures that you have placed each one of us in. God, I thank you for Rachel Pye-Jones. Thank you for her family and for the work that they are doing in the school there in Djibouti. I thank you for her writing, which is reaching to all different corners of the globe. I want to pray over Rachel's book, Pillars. I thank you for the work that she put into writing and publishing this book. And I pray that this book and its message would be multiplied to many people in the years to come. God, I pray for a special just hedge of protection around her and the other women that she works with and coaches in running. God, any women around the world who are going out to run today, I pray that you would go with them, that your presence would be with them, that you would protect them, and that you would remind them that they were made in your image in the Imago Day. I thank you for the opportunity that we had to learn from Rachel today, and I pray that in this month, as we continue to learn about Ethiopia and other parts of Africa, God, that you would just bring to light ways that we might connect with both the history and the present, the people who are there. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, I just wanted to share a few more details with you about our devotional book, Walk, Run, Soar. We mentioned it a few times in this broadcast, and that is a book published by Bethany House Baker Books. Walk, Run, Soar is a 52-week devotional and training journal that Sean and I wrote together. It's designed for runners and walkers who long to experience God's presence in a deeper way. And even if you have an appreciation for the metaphor of walking and running that is all throughout God's word, you can enjoy this devotional. It's never too late to incorporate this book into your exercise routine.
1: Please head over to our website at www.darenagilmore.com and take our biblical runner quiz. Through this fun quiz, you can find out which biblical runner you are most like in the running arena. Are you more like John the Baptist or Paul Or Esther, or even Mary. We can't wait to share your results.
0: Thanks for joining us, friends, for season three, episode eight of Eat, Pray, Run. It's been a joy to serve you, and we hope that you will listen to our next episode, which comes out every Wednesday. Let's chase God's glory together.